Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Uh, As you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, let me just tell you it's good to be back. Uh, For the last two Sundays, I've been in Cartagena, Colombia. Uh, The last two Sundays, I preached through a translator, so I'm enjoying not having to stop every sentence and wait on somebody to say what I just said in another language. Um, We presented the gospel many times. We prayed with multiple people to receive Christ. Uh, We connected those folks to local churches. I got the opportunity to connect with a lot of pastors in Columbia, and we just had a great trip. I'd love to tell you more about it, and we'd be glad to talk with you about it when we get a chance to chat next. Then I came back, and we had our men's retreat this weekend. And it was just a time that I walked away really filled up because I was just reminded that God did not just work a long time ago in the times of the Bible, and he does not just work in faraway lands like Columbia, but that God works in the here and the now. Now, women, I know at your retreat, you had testimonies as well, and you got to hear those things, but we learned at the men's retreat to tell our stories, how to give our testimonies, and then we had a half dozen or so men open up and share their own testimony, and we just heard stories of God's grace of God's mercy, of God's faithfulness, even when we are not faithful to him. And as men really opened up and were vulnerable, I just thought, man, there are men at different ages, different stages. I've heard in the last two weeks, men from different continents share very similar stories that we've all sinned and been sinned against so that we're broken and messed up that we've all tried many things to fix what is broken and messed up in us, but nothing but God in his grace and mercy and the provision of his son can fix what is broken. And as I heard those stories and was reminded of that, I just thought, man, stories are so powerful and they make such a difference in the world. And so as we come out of the women's retreat a few weeks ago and the men's retreat now, and we look forward to this Mission Sunday next week, I just want to take a moment to remind us all of the big story. And by story, I don't mean that it's not true. I just mean that there's a storyline to it. There's a beginning, there's a middle, there's an end. I just want to remind you of the story of the Bible. We've learned to summarize it here in four words, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so I want to talk about those things, maybe say some things about them you haven't thought about. But even if you don't hear anything new, I would hope that just hearing the story again, I had heard some of the stories the men told this weekend, but just hearing them again renewed my faith in God renewed my resolve to continue doing the things that God has called us to do. And so I'm hopeful reviewing the big picture story of the Bible will help you too. And then I want to take a few moments to reflect on how that big picture story should change the way that we live and the way that we lean into the world. Because I hope you know this big picture story of the Bible, it's also your story as well, right? When we tell our story, we're creation, we were born at a certain time, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory, we've all rebelled, there's been a fall in all of us. God is working for redemption in every one of us, and there's a day coming that we will be restored to what God would have us to be. And so this story is our story, and it should change the way that we live our lives, because we're all characters in 
and carriers of this big picture story that the Bible tells. So let me just get right to it. Let's think about it together. This story begins at creation, right? We've learned that God created all things out of nothing by the power of his word in the space of six days and all very good. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, just foundational chapters for all that we think and believe. And when you read those chapters, you learn so much about God and so much about his creation and so much about us and the way that we were designed to live in the world. Think about that with me just for a moment. As we think about God and what we learn about him and his creation, we learn that God's powerful. He speaks and things come into existence. God's word makes things happen. God's word changes things. We learn about God, about his creativity. Think about things on the top of a mountain or at the beach or under the water or in space or cells on a molecular level. There's so much order and creativity. God's such a great engineer, the way he has structured things and put things together so that they work with one another. God's so creative in the different colors, the different shapes, the different sizes, even the different kinds of people. There's such diversity, even within one kind of person or even within dogs or even within birds or different kinds of insects. God is so creative. He must love diversity, and God's so gracious. We read in Genesis 1 and 2 where he puts us in this world that he created and allows us to work it and to take care of it was the job we were first given from the beginning. God is so good, and he's so gracious. And we read there in Genesis 1 and 2 where God created man, he created humankind in his image, male and female, God created in the image of God. I have three daughters at my house. Uh, they let me get a boy dog a few years ago so I would not be so alone in a sea of estrogen. But as you might imagine, we have a lot of conversations about being a woman in the world. And one of the places as Christians that we have to start is where the Bible starts, that men and women were created, both created in the image of God, and both given the same job to do. Now, as the Bible unfolds, we may have different roles of what we do as men and women within that creation that God gave us. But because we're both made in the image of God, men and women, and we're both given the same job to do, there is equality amongst men and women. So even our different functions, our different roles does not mean that we're not equal in the sight of God, that we don't have value because we're both made in the image of God. So whatever true masculinity is in its unfallen form is a reflection of what God is like. But whatever true femininity is in its unfallen form is also a reflection of what God is like. And it takes that masculinity and femininity to reflect God to the world around us. Well, we're just unpacking one verse in Genesis 1, right? Verses, verses 26 and 27 and 28. But the fact that all people are made in the image of God changes the way we as Christians lean into the world. It's why we're against sexism, because God made men and women equal. It's why we're against racism, because all people are made in the image of God and have equal value. It's why we're against classism, that having more stuff doesn't make you more valuable. 
It's why we're against nationalism that there's not one nation that is greater than other nations because all the people and all the nations are made in the image of God. And so we learn a lot as we look at creation. In fact, I would encourage you to spend time in those first two chapters. The first two chapters and the, first, the last two chapters of the Bible are the only two where there's no sin in the world. And it gives us an idea of how God designed things to be lived. Well, of course, the world that you and I live in is not all good. There are bad things in the world in which we live. Things are broken. Things are messed up. They don't work the way they're supposed to. And so when we read Genesis 1 and 2 and see that God made all things good, but the world we live in is broken and messed up, what happened? And Genesis 3 answers that question. We call it the fall. That God designed men and women to live a certain way, and we fell below that. Maybe a better word would be rebellion. That we have not lived life the way God designed it. The fall is so nice, isn't it? You, you can kind of passively fall. Oh, I didn't mean to fall. But it's really rebellion, right? We tend to think of, of sin as just breaking a rule. Sin is much more about betraying a relationship. The God who made us. The God who is so gracious toward us and has given us so many things that we would betray our relationship with him and not live life the way he designed it to be lived. And we see the effects of that in Genesis chapter 3. You can read there. That as soon as men and women make the decision to not live life the way God designed it to be lived, shame enters the world. Fear enters the world as they hide from God. Blame enters the world as they blame one another. Hiding enters the world. Hatred, enmity is the word used in Genesis chapter 3. Decay, things come apart, thorns and thistles grow. Pain as it had not been experienced before. Death. All those things came into the world as a result of men and women not living life the way God designed it to be lived. And that's why the world we live in is broken and messed up. We heard it in the testimonies the men gave this weekend. We heard very detailed in our lives how we have been sinned against and how we have sinned ourselves and that, how that has damaged us. And you see the effects of not living life the way God designed it to be lived. And the lives of the men that were there. And the ways that were broken. The ways that were messed up. The ways that we don't live life the way God designed it to be lived. And we see the effects of that. Talked about that. I was so encouraged by how vulnerable our men were. And being honest about the ways they've sinned and been sinned against uh, and how that has affected them in the world. But the good news is that God remains committed to his creation, right? The story doesn't end with the fall. There's the story of redemption, and you don't have to go very far in the scripture to get there. You don't have to wait until John three sixteen. Because right there in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15, God promises that he will send a person, the seed of a woman. And that where Adam and Eve failed, he will succeed. That he would live life as it was designed to be lived. And that at great cost to himself, the serpent would strike his heel, but he would what? He would crush the serpent's head. 
he once and for all would deal evil a decisive blow. And God makes that promise in Genesis 3 and verse 15. And the rest of the Bible and indeed the rest of human history is the playing out of that one verse. Sometimes it seems the seed of the woman is winning and we're walking in God's ways. And then it seems like the descendants of the evil one, those controlled by him, seem to get the upper hand. And things are dark. Maybe that's where you live right now. You listen to the news and and you get depressed because you think, man, nothing is the way God designed it to be. Hear the good news today. That God remains committed to his creation. He has not given up. He hasn't given up on you and he hasn't given up on his world. And we know that as we live on this side of the cross. Because God ultimately puts on flesh himself and enters into his own creation. And he lives the life that we should have lived in perfect submission to the Father. And he dies the death that we should have died as a result of our sin. So that, yes, we can have a relationship with God. We tend to focus on that a lot. But it's bigger than that. So that the effects of the fall, so that the effects of our rebellion, so that the effects of sin and death are pushed back and will ultimately be done away with. Jesus is the one promised in Genesis 3 and verse 15. His whole ministry was about that, if you think about it. His healing is showing how he's pushing back the effects of decay and death in people's physical bodies. As he casts out demons, he's showing his mastery over the spiritual realm and how he will push back the effects of fallen angels and fallenness in the world. He shows his mastery over nature. And in his own death and resurrection, he shows that he has authority even over death itself. The scripture refers to him as the firstborn over all creation because when Jesus raises from the dead, God's just getting started making all things new. And he makes people new. And he makes all of his creation new. If you read in Colossians 1, we're told that by the blood of Christ, God is redeeming us. He's reconciling us to himself. But read carefully. It says because of the work of Christ, God is reconciling all things to himself. That all creation is broken and messed up because of our poor choices. Romans 8 says that the whole creation is groaning under the pains of childbirth. Why? Because it's been subjected to frustration by our poor choices and our rebellion. But as the sons of God are revealed, are we, as we more and more live life the way God designed it to be lived, the creation is being liberated from its bondage to decay. And God is at work making all things new. That's redemption. And we look forward to the restoration of all things. You can read about the new heaven and the new earth in Revelation 21 and 22. Isaiah talks about it in Isaiah 65 and Isaiah chapter 66. And we're told that all the things that came into the world as a result of the fall, that shame and fear and blame and hiding and hatred and decay and pain and death, that those things will be done away with. That God will make all things new. 
And that's such an important thing for us to remember. It's important for us to remember that part of the story because we haven't gotten there yet. We live in this time after the fall when things are broken and messed up. And we live in this time period of redemption when God is in the process of pushing back the effects of the fall. That he's in the process of making all things new. But we're not to that day that everything has been made new. And that changes the way we think about the world. It means that we're going to experience death in this world. Some of us went to three funerals this week. Jesus has come, he's raised from the dead, but we still experience the effects of death and decay in our culture. We're going to suffer. There are times that things are not going to go the way that we want it to go. Even when we do the right thing, life's not always going to work out the way we want it to work out. But our hope is that our God is making all things new. I love to say this, and you've probably heard me say it before, but when I look forward to that day of restoration, because we know that a day is coming that God's going to make all things new, because we know a day is coming when there will be no more shame and fear, when we know there's a day coming there will be no more hiding and hatred, that there will be no more pain and decay and death, no more cancer, No more loved ones who die that we have to say goodbye to. Because we know that day is coming, it helps us to persevere in this day. Because we know that we will experience healing, that we will experience the pushing back of the effects of sin and death. Maybe today, maybe God will use us to do that in our home in our workplace, in the relationships where we live. Or maybe it'll be when Jesus comes back. But we have great hope. And even as we grieve in the brokenness, we don't grieve the way the world grieves because we have that hope that Jesus will return and he will make all things new. Read 1 Thessalonians where we read that. And so because we know a day is coming that God's going to make all things new, we persevere in this day. And we work hard to push back the effects of the fall wherever God puts us. Because that's our calling in the here and now. Oh, that's the story. Creation, fall, redemption, restoration. I'm already getting into the reflection a little bit. But let's talk about that. Let's think about that. You know, as a pastor, I spend a lot of time thinking and reading and talking to other people about what is the mission of the church. And you may say, that's great. You ought to do that. As the lead pastor of the church, you probably ought to spend time thinking and reading about that. And I used to struggle over it a lot and just say, Lord, what is it that you have for us as a church? What is the mission of the church? But as I begin to reflect on the big picture story of the Bible, that creation, fall, redemption, restoration that we just talked about, I realized that it's not so much that God has a mission for his church, it's not so much that, as it is that God has a church For his mission. God's already on a mission. He created all things. Things are broken and messed up because of our rebellion. But God's on a mission to make all things new. And he calls us to himself, yes, to make us new. And we tend to focus on that. How can I be made new? And we should. But God calls people to himself 
and makes them new and then sends them into the world to make wherever they are new, to fill the earth with images of God, that it would look like God in the place wherever his people are. We talked at the men's retreat that his method is men. It is the calling of people to himself and changing them and through them changing the world. Called Abraham to himself and said, Abraham, I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. He called us all out of the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom of marvelous light so that we can sing his praises so that a world that hears what he is like. We're to join God in the work that he's doing and restoring all things and putting things back the way he created them to be and designed them to be. That's what God is doing. So that's our job as well. God calls us to join him in his mission. If you turn to 1 Corinthians 3 and you're thinking, is he ever going to get there? Did he forget that he said turn to 1 Corinthians 3? 1 Corinthians 3, in the context, that church is divided. And some of them are saying, I follow Apollos and I follow Paul. And Paul says, no, we're all on the same team in the church. We all have the same mission. Yes, we have different specific jobs. Paul says that he built a a, a foundation, that Apollos comes in and watered, that he planted things. But look what he says in 1 Corinthians 3 in verse 9. He says, for we are God's fellow workers. Do you hear that? That God's on a mission making all things new. And we are God's fellow workers. We play different roles. There are different places where I live, work, and play that God gives me influence. And you have different places you live, work, and play. And different places God has given you influence. But we're all to push back the effects of the fall. To see that life is lived wherever we are and whatever is under our control. To see that that area Life is lived the way God designed it to be lived. That we would coach a little league team the way Jesus would coach if he were here coaching a team. That we would run the branch of a bank the way Jesus would run the branch of the bank if he were here. That we would treat patients, that we would invest money, that we would run a church the way Jesus would do those things. If he were here in the flesh doing those things, that's what we're called to do because we're God's fellow workers, co-laborers with him in this task of making all things new. It's so funny when we begin to think things that way, it changes the way we lean into the world, doesn't it? Think about it. I often hear people ask the question, hey, where does God fit into the story of my life? You know, I have all these things going on, and I'm going to add God to that, and I'm not sure where church and everything fits in. Where does God fit into the story of my life? When we begin to think about creation and fall and redemption and restoration, that we're co-laborers with God in this story, that we're characters in and carriers of this story, then the question is not where does God fit into the story of my life, Of course, the question becomes, where does my life fit into God's story of creation, fall, redemption, and restoration? What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to be faithful as a husband at this place and at this time? What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to be faithful as a father, as a pastor, 
as a doctor, as a student, as a professor? What does it look like for a follower of Jesus to be faithful at this place and at this time? People ask the question, how does the Bible apply to my life? And listen, that's a good question. I would rather you ask that question than to not care about how the Bible applies to your life. But perhaps the better question is how do I apply my life to the story of the Bible, to the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration? What is my part in it? How am I a character in and a character and a carrier of this story? And thinking, over what areas has God given me influence? What are the places that I live and work and play? And what's God's design for those areas? What would he have them look like? How have those areas been affected by the fall? Where is there shame and fear and hiding and blame and decay and hatred and death in those places? How have they been affected by the fall? How can I push back the effects of those things so that they better reflect and better function as God designed them to function? Men, we learned to tell our story, to give our testimony this weekend. Women, at the women's retreat, you worked on it a few weeks ago. It means that we should be people who are asking the question, who around me needs to hear my testimony? Who around me needs to hear my story of what God has done in me? Are you asking that question? And as we reflect as individuals, we need to reflect as a church as well. As a church, we need to ask, what kind of mission does God have for his church? You know, I was asking that question. When perhaps the better question is, what kind of, of church does God want for his mission? Not what kind of mission does he want for us, but what kind of church does he want us to be in order to carry out the mission that he has? As individuals, we need to ask not what kind of mission does God have for me, and I'm sure that he does, but to ask what kind of me does God need for his mission? What things need to change about your life? What, what priorities need to change in order for you to be a part of what God is doing in the world? And as we think about those questions, we can better prepare ourselves for the work that God has us to do in his mission in his world. So in order to arrange things as God designed them to be, we have to know how God designed them to be. What is the standard? We have to know God's plan for, our, for a home or for a marriage or for parenting or for work or for our relationships with one another. We need to know God's design for our views and our use of our money, of sex and sexuality. In all these areas, we need to be thinking God's thoughts after him. It's going to take some studying the Bible. It's going to take some talking to others who are attempting to apply the same truths of the Scripture to various places where they live, work, and play, but a part of the same culture. Our weekly worship services are designed to do just that. But if you only come to worship... We can't do all that we need to do to equip you during this time. I would encourage you to be involved in a community group or a weekly Bible study or a discipleship group. 
Because all those things are, de- are designed to help us study the Bible and talk to other people who are trying to apply the same truths of the Scripture to the various places in the same culture where we live and work and play. If you join our church as a member, you'll have an elder shepherd assigned to you that will help you discern what work God has for you to do wherever you work and live and play. And our mission as a church is to gather under that kind of biblical leadership for worship and for teaching and for fellowship so that you can be filled with the Holy Spirit and better equipped to scatter into the world and join God in his work of redeeming all things and restoring them to the way he designed them to be from the very beginning. That's what we do as a church. What an exciting opportunity we have. As people called by God to be co-laborers, to be fellow workers with him in the work that he is accomplishing in this world. He has a purpose for us. There are things that God wants to accomplish in this place And in this generation, in this community, in this state, in the home where you live, in the workplace where you work, the places that you are entertained, in the places where you play, God has work for his people to do and a purpose for us in this generation. And we as a church believe God has put us here to help you learn to do that. So let's pray together. Let's continue to walk down this road together. Come back next week as we think about how God is working in the world around us. As we continue to think about how God can better use us for his purposes. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story. Thank you for this reminder this morning. Thank you that you remain committed to your creation. Thank you for your goodness to us, your grace, your mercy. Thank you for the dignity that you give us that we're able to be fellow workers or co-laborers with you. Just give us a vision for what that could look like. Give us an excitement. Help us as a church to equip people for that task. And I pray that you would give us a longing in our heart for all things to be made new for your kingdom to come, for your will to be done here on earth as it is in heaven. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.